We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, this is a fun time of year. This is the couple of weeks where most of the team gets put together. Although you could argue a good portion of that was done uh, at last trade deadline. But Lakers are in a super interesting spot with the 17th pick. Today, there are three topics that I'd like to cover, kind of three scenarios as we record on the eve of the NBA draft. One is Lakers keep the 17th pick and kind of where does that guy fit into the larger Lakers picture? Another version where the Lakers trade down. And then another version where the Lakers make a trade for a rotation caliber player. And so, those are, I think, the three most likely scenarios uh, to happen tonight, D. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the draft. We we did a preview with Mike Garcia over the course of this weekend where we get into a lot of the specifics of the uh, the prospects. But today we're going to talk more like big picture and where does where does this draft kind of fit in to the overall plans of the Lakers? Yeah, so first of all, let me plug that pod. Neither me or Mike Trudell. And that's always one of my favorite pods of the year. I actually like it better when I'm not on it. Because then I could just listen to it as a regular listener and, and sort of try try to absorb all of the helpful information. So if you guys haven't listened to that pod, please do go back and listen to it. Mike has this rare ability to give you information about players who you're going to know for a long time because they all seem to make the league and play for a long time. I remember a couple mm-hmm. of years ago when we did this, um, we were talking about guys that he was hoping might fall to where the Lakers picked one of the guys he brought up was like oh Trey Murphy I really like this Trey Murphy yeah. kid he's gonna be a good player and this is that and the other and hey what do you know Trey Murphy is a super Bro, good Mike's NBA been doing player. that for like 20 years I've been talking to him almost 20 years it's uncanny yeah so so anyways listen to that pod learn up on some good prospects because they will be in your lives as an NBA fan either on the Lakers hopefully <laughs> or yeah. going up against them and being one of those guys who seemingly hit six threes against the Lakers every single time they play. Regarding your recent scenarios Pete like I think that you've hit the nail on the head with those three ideas. To me the 17 is is like this big pivot point and will they keep the pick at all is is this interesting idea And to me is where the discussion should start. If they take someone at 17, I think that's a different conversation. And and I'm interested in that too. But the idea of potentially trading down or using the pick 
as a way to get a current NBA rotation level player. Those are the ideas that I have on my mind as most pressing. We've seen some moves already start to happen. Bradley Beal was traded. Yeah, we got to um, talk about that. This week for Chris Paul. And there are dominoes that are going to fall from that even more, right? That trade hasn't even been completed yet because there's still potential for Chris Paul to be moved somewhere else as part of a three-way trade and other things. So Mike, are you as intrigued by the potential of the Lakers trading out of this spot entirely as I am? Or are you more intrigued by the idea of them keeping the pick and uh, selecting another young guy? Yeah, I'm not as intrigued as you are about trading out of it. Uh, I have not spent as much time on the trade machine uh, and in thinking about all of these other targets that I know uh, you have. And you've probably been sparing me some of those group texts. Um, the one to Pete is probably firing off at a higher level at this point. I wanted to echo your point about the pod that Pete did with Mike uh, Garcia. I thought that was great as well. And I also, though, want to point out that fortunately for Laker fans, the Lakers have some people in their scouting department uh, that know what they're doing also. And so my like as somebody that's been with the Lakers now since 2008, I, I have come to sort of just fully trust what they're going to do on draft day. And, you know, Jesse Buss, the director of scouting, the assistant GM, who, of course, still, you know, reports to Rob Palenka, who's got the final decision. But like Jesse's been doing this for a long time and has a really, really strong track record now um, of players. And, you know, it's it's Kuzma at 27, Hart at 30, Zoo at 32, Nance at 27. That's kind of been the sweet spot. Uh, yes, they've had a lot. They've had a few lottery picks from that 2014 to 2017 run uh, when the team was really bad. And then, of course, even the undrafted guys with Caruso, most recently with Austin Reeves. But so what I do instead of kind of diving into the tape, which I know Pete has been doing a lot of and talking to guys like Mike, I'm just start to come, you know, June 1st. I just start to text the scouts a lot more. I'm like, hey, for sure. What are the what are the four or five guys, right, that I should sort of zero in on? And 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 then especially once that player gets selected then I can, uh, you know, I can really focus on it because I know I'm going to see him uh, in summer league in person like 15 times. So to, to loop this back into what Darius's question was about what I think the Lakers might do or should do, I, I think the roster, and this is pending some decisions, right? Like we, we know Austin and Rui Hachimura and, and D'Lo and some other players, like what's going to happen, who's going to come back. But I think that they're going to be close enough in terms of having a pretty filled out rotation that I think that this 17th pick could represent a real talent find for the future. Uh, and, and if the, that player can come in, you know, add to what this Lakers team is and what they want to do, which, of course, uh, is going to be championship driven with LeBron uh, at this stage with Anthony Davis and, and, and so on. But until I know who's available, uh, Darius, like in if there is a player that they could get for 17 and for somebody else. Great. You know, tell me what that is. And then we'll evaluate it at the time. Right now, that's that's a complete unknown. So to me, what the, what the Lakers' main focus has to be, and this is kind of where you split to an extent what Jesse and Rob do, is who is the best player that we can get at 17? Not who's going to fit you know, with this roster, because who knows exactly what the roster is going to be, not just next week, but at the trade deadline and then by next postseason. So that's what they've done. That's, what they've, that's how they've drafted. That is their draft philosophy. It's, uh, it's here's our board. It's one through 60. We're going to take the player that we think has the chance to be the best NBA player. And then subsequently, Rob has to figure out, OK, is that where we're staying this year? Or is there a player out there that is worth that type of talent upside that the Lakers haven't had since 2017? 
that's the last time they picked in the lottery. Um, since then, it's all been it's been after 17. So, uh, Pete, that's a, there are a couple different directions I went in there, but it's to me, it's about the talent first, and then it's Rob's job after they figure out who that player is as to if that's going to be a player that they develop, uh, you know, like they did with Max Christie, even though that was 35, that was the best talent that they found there, right? Not who they thought might be able to sneak into a rotation spot. And at this time last year, the day before the draft, we didn't have the Max Christie pick. We bought that the morning of the draft, right? And so that's another one of the scenarios is there's very much the possibility that something happens between now and the draft and Lakers move up, move back, buy a second round pick. A whole bunch of things can happen. And, and I love how you framed it, Mike, in terms of the intersection between Jesse and Rob's jobs. And th- that idea of it being an intersection is... That keeps ringing through my head with respect to this pick in that you were talking about how we have all these late first, early second round finds, right? And we're talking 28th pick, 32nd pick, or a string of three consecutive second overall picks overall. 17's right in the middle of that. And it's a different part of the draft than either that top end or the bottom of the first round slash second round. In that bottom of the sec- first round slash second round type of area, I think you're generally looking for a guy who can stick in the league, right? And that is going to be true of 17 as well. But you're also close enough to the lottery where it's like, hey, if we get this right, we could actually get a guy who's really good. Like there are all stars that are drafted at the 17th spot. It's not a super frequent occurrence, but it's much more like more likely that you can find a legit guy at this spot. And that is part of the reason why in a, a draft that's pretty well regarded, D, that I think there's sort of a tier list, a, a tier system in terms of answering your question about being intrigued about trading for a starter. The way I think of it is you're going to have guys that, because you don't know who's going to be available at 17. And so I think the philosophy is like, okay. I feel very passionately, or we collectively feel very passionately about these three guys. And if they're on the board at this point, the level of player that we would be willing to trade the pick for in terms of an established player goes up. But if all the guys that we feel really passionate about, and it could be three players, could be five players, like that's that's where Jesse's uh, role and, and the scouts really come into play. But however however many guys they feel really passionate about, that's where you draw that line. But then after that, if if you're with a bunch of guys, you're like you can go back and forth on that. To me, is where the trading for an established player comes more into play. There's also like with the contracts involved. We saw this last year with the Russell Westbrook situation, where expirings I think have more value at the trade deadline than they do at this point of the summer. But anyway, that's just my. Belief. So a couple thoughts on that, on, on the draft and the trade scenarios there, D. It's interesting that you mentioned the point about um, it being right in the middle and the Lakers have had some good hits either at the top of the draft or near the top of the draft and at the back end of the draft. I'm looking at a list here of players who were drafted number 17 overall. And to your point, Pete, there are some good players on this list going back to early 2000s, right? Josh Smith is on this list Mm -hmm. from the Hawks. Danny Granger is on this list. Roy Hibbert, Drew Holiday was a number 17 overall pick. Dennis Schroeder, and then other like role player types, Dante DiVincenzo, Trey Murphy. These are good NBA players and some of them higher end, like not quite all NBA level guys, but all-star guys, guys who made an all-star team or two. And you truly can find a long-term fit Speaking to Mike's point, 
the Lakers have needs in the backcourt. They have needs on the wing and they have needs in the front court. So mm-hmm. I'm not disillusioned enough to think that, oh, some guy that gets drafted number 17 is going to come in and be a rotation player right away. But that's not out of the question to me either, right? The Lakers definitely have higher hopes and they have the ability to build out their roster in a way where they won't need, quote unquote, need anything from this pick necessarily. But that doesn't necessarily mean that just because they don't need anything, that a player who gets drafted at number 17, if the Lakers do pick at that spot, won't have an avenue to be a guy who plays 10 minutes a night, 15 minutes a night, like a two shift player, because there will be a need for a guy to step in and play that, whether that guy is a free agent or a guy who you return from the current roster or or whatever. Right. So this is why I'm super intrigued by what the Lakers are going to do with this pick in general, because to get back to my first point, they could easily use this pick to try to get that like to try to trade for potentially a guard that they really like to come in and fill in some some minutes or a wing or even a big man or they could draft that player so i'm i'm sitting here just sort of like super happy with this idea because like like mike said the front office has had a lot of success just drafting guys in general and guys who can stick i'm i'm high on Max Christie, for for example, like I think he could be a guy who is going to compete for a rotation spot next season. But there is this idea, though, of like, this is a win now team. And you can try to thread the needle, but the emphasis on what you're trying to be is always going to be based on who your best players are and what stage of their career they're in. Right. And so while I totally agree with the idea of drafting a guy at 17 and saying this guy can be a player for us five, six, seven, eight years from now. Like I'm also thinking that with with the potential talent that you can get at this spot, there's also that idea of, well, we actually do want someone in here who can help elevate the team now. So where are you at with that idea in general? Well, I so I don't think those two things have to be totally different ideas though and and i'll explain so if you take a player at 17 that you really like and maybe you like a little bit more than the than the consensus um or it's somebody that slips so that the consensus likes more than whatever that spot is so in the way that we understand that in the modern media is somebody that's mocked to go higher right and then everyone's like oh what a great pick i saw he was mocked at number 11 on blank's board so Man, can't believe he slipped to the Lakers, right? Whereas if somebody that's mocked 27th, you pick at 17, it's like, wait, what are you doing? Why would you why would you do that? And I think that this is where it's so important for franchises to trust their own board um, and not have their not be worried about ownership uh, than you know, looking at whatever they feel their friends are texting them on the mocks and, and why are you taking this kind of risk? So like that's the the track record that the Lakers have, I think. Uh, protects them some from that right where where they're going to pick somebody that they think is good and so if you're Darius to get back to the point about you know a win now team and a team that's got a window well ultimately if you're trying to add talent like and you and you select talent from a youth perspective you can still flip that youth later for potentially a better player um, like at the trade deadline 
as as you're depending on what you really need by that point and depending on how the guys that you do bring back play and depending on who you think you might be able to get at the at when free agency starts. Um, and I would as a Lakers employee, I'm sure the Lakers have had zero conversations with any players. There is no um, tampering or anything like that going on. Once they are allowed to speak to players, right, then they they may have an idea um, of who they like and who they want and who might fit in. So I just I don't look at drafting somebody based on talent that may not fit in whatever as as sort of eschewing a win now mentality. Uh, I think you can use it still towards that end, either with that player playing um, or by using that asset that you believe to be stronger because of your draft record in the past. That's a good point, D. Last year, in a lot of ways, had sort of this first half of the year where tryouts framework to it that I think that can apply to this year, too, in that, like, say we draft somebody, keep the pick, draft someone at 17, and they turn out to be pretty good. They Like, somebody that, that projects really well, they start out. That's another thing, too. I think, functionally speaking, getting to January, February is going to be something that the Max Christie's and this last year, Wenyan Gabriel was a big part of that. Hopefully the 17th pick can be a part of that. That's going to have a functional utility for this roster as well. But there's a certain degree too where like that, even if it's not that player that gets traded, but say 17 hits and it's like, oh, there's some different reality about our team. Like say we don't need a big all of a sudden. Like we think that we can hold down the backup big minutes. And then what you do at the trade deadline kind of changes as a result of that. So I think I think last season was a great lesson in not everything has to be done all at once. No, totally. I also think too, to Mike's point, I'm not worried about fit because there are there are areas to fit in at every level of the roster, at every yes. position group where you can draft whatever, whoever the most talented player is, Mike. Like I'm not worried about something like at the top of the draft, for example, there's a lot of discussion on Brandon Miller versus Scoot Henderson as uh, the number two pick, right? And what is what is Charlotte going, going to do there? And some people are like, well, if even if I'm not sure where talent evaluators are looking at Miller versus Henderson here, right? But Miller is the much cleaner fit for their roster than Henderson, who is a point guard, and they already have a point guard with LaMelo Ball. The Lakers aren't at that top of the draft area where they're like, oh, we want to pick like this. Yo, and that could be a mistake the too. They, they may be deciding that, and it's the totally wrong thing to do. There's the great story about uh, Bobby Knight, coach of the 1984 uh, US Team USA, and he was talking to his friend, who was the GM uh, of the Portland Trailblazers at the time, who had the second pick in the draft. Now, Akeem Olajuwon was expected to and did go number one to Houston, but the second pick was a question between Sam Bowie and the guy that Bobby Knight coached, and he was telling him, like, you got to draft this Michael Jordan kid. He's unbelievable. And his friend, who's the GM of the Blazers at the time, and we don't remember his name because he got fired because of this. His friend goes, well, we drafted Clyde Drexler, great player, Hall of Famer uh, for, for the Blazers in his own right. We drafted him. We have a shooting guard. We need a center. And then Bobby Knight, with lots of expletives in between, says, then draft Michael Jordan and play him at center. You know what I mean? Like, this <laughs> yes. is one of those things, D, that that happens all the time where you kind of galaxy brain yourself into a fit versus need. It's really about getting guys, Mike. But that one in particular is so dumb because – like we we think about positions now. It's one thing to have like two players in the backcourt that just can't fit together because one of the because they're both bad defensively, for example. Like mm-hmm. that's not the case with Jordan and Drexler. Uh and like to have two big 
wings. Yes, both ball dominant. Like I, but still, like you can be, you can overlap in those type of ways, like a little bit like LeBron and D Wade, you know, and still figure out how to win a championship. But I, I would be hesitant. Like the the thing with Scoot Henderson and Lamelo Ball, like that's a little bit, a little bit more complicated. Uh, I need to watch Scoot more and kind of check him out defensively. But like Lamelo, he's got size, but does he play defense? I don't know. At that point, I think you still go with the talent. Uh, and you worry a little bit less about the fit because Lamelo is not necessarily uh, right at this point an All NBA type player. Uh, so it fit does come into play, but it's it's way lower uh, to me on the scale than talent. And that's that's what Jesse Buss just told us in an interview we did with Lakers.com. Like that, usually in the draft on the board, talent is the biggest thing. Of course, fit is taken into consideration, um, but it is it is not the determining factor uh, when you're making a draft pick for a lot of NBA franchises. Let's take a break. Come back. Keep the conversation going. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, so we talked to Jesse and we also talked to Rob Palenka and essentially just, hey, what's the mindset going into this draft? 17, you got 47. There are some question marks as to who's going to be back on the roster. And this is where I mentioned sort of the two things that uh, what Jesse's focus is, and that's just the board. That's just what the rankings are. And that's who they, they want to make the pick. And then who they, along with Rob, will sort of once 17 comes up and if the player that they especially want is there – that's still when Rob now has to weigh, okay, here, clearly this is our guy that we want, but you know, is that since it's player X as, as opposed to player Y, is that where the Darius trade machine comes into play or, or is it not, or are we not doing that because we don't like any of the players that are potentially available in the conversations that we've had, but this is what's messed up about the draft is that you could have all of this. This is your plan. And then two minutes before you take your pick, you get a call from the team behind you <laughs> because because that a player that they really want slipped, let's say past 16. And they say, hey, we'll give you next year's first and to, in, in exchange to swap this. It's going to be protected this by X, Y, Z. Will you do it right? And then you have to make a split decision um, on that. And, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of people in the front office. And I think that they spend these last several weeks, especially preparing for those types of things. Is there a team that we think likes this player that might call? And and Mm -hmm. so you have contingencies all lined up and we know that Rob Palenka is a very prepared executive and he likes to have um, all of these contingencies potentially planned for, but ultimately it's like a test and you've been studying for Mm -hmm. it for a while. Once the exam comes, you know, you have to just trust in, in your preparation to that point. So 
that was what I, I was trying to get out of both Rob and Jesse. Like, what's this overall approach? What are you thinking as you're sitting there um, in, in this situation? And, you know, it's not their first time doing it. And and that's, I think, the benefit. Like, Rob has now been here since 20, was it 17? Yeah, 2017. Got the got the the bump up to his current role in 2020. Um, Jesse has been the director of scouting since 2012. He's been with the Lakers since 2006, you know, so they, they know how to go through this process. And to me, the more intriguing part is less the, Hey, who are they necessarily going to take? But, but how does it fit in with the, what's coming the next week with free agency, um, their own players. And then how are they piecing all of that together? I just think that, that with all of the moving parts that they have in the emphasis that they put on continuity, that Rob has put on continuity. Um, I, I think I'm going into it less prepared for some major type of move and more kind of, hey, let's get a really good asset that we like. And then let's go into this into summer league, into the season and, you know, trying to see what that killer piece might be. If the killer piece presents itself on draft day, great. Jump on it. You know, Mm -hmm. if not, then then they've got a pretty good plan, I think, going forward. Well, all of this preparation, Pete, is something that is super interesting to me, man. And that idea of like tiers and groups of players who who you like and who is at the top of that tier and who's at the bottom of that tier and how much separation is actually between those two guys how many of those guys are on the board when you're about to pick if we move back x number of slots will one of those guys still be there right and if you go into now the next tier down what's the separation between the guy and in the middle of tier three versus the top of tier four and are we comfortable with that if there's draft equity involved like there's so many factors at play here and it's so interesting to be about all the machinations that go into the decision making around stuff like this in the moment when you are on the clock that's what i mean about it being sort of this intersection is it's right at that point right where there are a few guys that could totally be there that are like, yeah, I think that guy's going to be a pretty good player in the NBA. And But there's also a point, and that this is where it's super interesting, especially in a front office that has a bunch of different people who contribute to the the collective. Like, you know, the road ends at Rob Palenka, right, in terms of uh, who makes the final call. But a lot of people's opinion goes into the final, especially on something like the draft. And when you're at this point, what is – who are the guys that you feel passionately about in a draft where there are a lot of pretty good players? I think that there's going to be less opportunity for consensus. And I think that there's, uh, it's going to be super interesting, Mike, to see how the Lakers navigate that in this sort of intersection point where you can make credible arguments for a bunch of different players, a bunch of different trade backs, a bunch of, and so, there can be a certain degree of paralysis as a function of all of the options that you have available. So at some point, you got to pick a road to go down. And so how the Lakers navigate that, I think, is going to be a big part of how successful they are tomorrow night. You know, and the other thing that they mentioned was just that this is a heavy, and you and Mike kind of had the same perspective, but this is a deep draft in terms of size and wing talent. And that's an area that I don't know how much time we have spent on the podcast the last couple of years talking about. And and thankfully, the Lakers were able to address some of that at the deadline. Uh, but they brought in players like with Rui Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt. That's a different kind of wing because they they sort of skew more bigger. And that that type of two way wing with where yes. you get more of the shooting, that still to me is the area where like Max Christie fits that and can, I think, continue to evolve into that. but. 
that's an area that I'm curious about in this draft, as is the kind of the big guard, like a big ball pressure guard who can secondarily create when needed. And I do think that there are some of those archetypes of players um, that are that are there for the to, for the taking. And if you can knock out, you know, one of those fits that also just happens to be the best talent available, I do think there's an opportunity for those things to come together for the Lakers uh, in this draft. And that's part of the exciting part and part of why, you know, I'm I'm a little bit less based on just what I've looked, what I've seen and what I think teams are going to be offering uh, that I don't know that the type of player that the Lakers are wanting to fit one of those things is going to be there in a trade for 17 and in, you know, a potentially re-signed player that you can move out. And, and if so, great. But if not, like that's to me where I'm thinking, not just for this next season, but uh, thinking for like, what is the Lakers chapter beyond LeBron at some point? Like, what does that look like? What is that? What, who is another star that could potentially come, you know, and pair with Anthony Davis? And, and that's, again, that's for the future. Hopefully LeBron still stays for several years at this point. But I do think you have to start thinking about as you're looking at roster building, you know, not just what are you going to do to maximize next season? Um, and, and also like trying to thread this line of, we haven't done the podcast yet just about LeBron, but he of course has to factor into any of these types of, of choices as to what you're going to do with the roster, both to try and maximize the roster while he's here. And also to try and think about, uh, you know, what the roster is going to be long-term when at some point years down the line, potentially, um, he is not there. All these avenues of team building, they all connect, right? So Thursday is the draft. But just a week later, free agency opens, right? And there's always the ability to make trades either on draft night or even once free agency starts too with guys that you have on your roster. Um, And all of these things combine in order to shape your avenues for improving and building out the best team possible. And I just wanted to sort of kick it back to both both of you guys around what is your appetite for like trading down specifically within this this draft. There are several teams in this draft in all of the like so many playoff teams over the last several years have pushed their chips into the table in a variety of ways by trading out draft picks in order to get talent. And what has ended up happening then is that some of the teams now in this current draft have two first round picks, three first round picks, five picks in a total total draft with like two first and three seconds and all of this stuff. And Mike so expertly said Jesse and Rob have had great success picking like in later parts of the draft and even in into the second round. And so with all of those variables on the table, the Lakers have had success doing exactly this. And Mike cited the Kuzma and Hart draft. They were taken in the same draft after trading down to get to those spots, right? And and so what is your appetite for say, like, and I'm not going to throw out like, oh, let's, we're going to make a deal with this team or that team, but just being like, hey, like, Five spots down, 10 spots down. Like, what's your appetite for that? So my appetite is pretty high because I think that the players in that – and again, I have a Cliff Notes studying for the test uh, understanding of this draft. So, right, I might be completely full of crap and don't know what I'm talking about. But there are a few guys that that I've talked to people about that, like – 
It's like, yeah, we like them, but they're kind of in that twilight zone between 17 and 47 where like they seem like it's 17 is too high for them, but 47 is too low. But my thought is at this range, they're a lot closer together than you think. And this is one of the problems of having ordinal lists as opposed to like tiered type of lists in this sort of thing is that it doesn't always explain the discrepancy. You can have similar players at 18 and at 40 in some drafts, you know, and so that how many guys kind of fit that hey i really like this guy and if there are two guys that you feel that way about but feel like 17 is either too high mike or they're not well regarded enough around the league then absolutely trade down give yourself two swings at it on a roster that like d said has has job openings at every tier of the roster i'm glad you used the word tier uh, because that's the word that jesse used uh, in our interview so let, let let me pull it here uh, so okay, so basically, I asked him a question about uh, the the approach at seventeen, you know, versus what the Lakers have had in recent history, which is either high lottery or super late first round. And he said, "Well, I don't think it's any different whether the pick was seventeen or sixty. At the end of the day, we have our philosophy, and that's to study every prospect in the draft and to rank them accordingly. We like to use a tier system in order to group these guys together amongst their talent level, and then we review all options and we'll be ready to make the pick." Uh, so then he goes on and explains that the ways that they've been analyzing these guys over the years, it's the eye test in person, it's analytics, it's um, on and on. It's it's Intel, it's it's uh, speaking to coaches, like all of this kind of stuff. But the tier system is where that is, how that comes into play. And I use it with him. I use like a fantasy football evaluation where those of us that if you're playing fantasy football and you don't know the league that well, but you just want to come in and kind of moonlight, you want to have a team. You know, if you can go out there and search just like tiered rankings for running backs. And so your pick comes up and there's three guys that you like, but there's but you would not take any other running back in that tier of that pick. And it's, of course, much more scientific than that when you have professionals doing this at the Lakers level. But that is the that is the point. It's not like a hard list one through 60. Even if it is one through 60, it's also tiered within what those positions and not positions within what those uh, that level of talent ultimately is. I was. um reading through and this might have been some tweets that Mike Garcia sent out but I think that he had said something around the idea of like first round grades that he might have on particular players and I think that it was like upwards of 30 or maybe even more that had like where like okay well if you've got that many first round grades and and I think about this with like the NFL draft because when I used to really follow the NFL there were times where there's 32 picks in the first round and some general manager would come on like after their draft and say well we we had 17 players with first round grades this this draft right and that meant that there were 15 other guys in theory that were going to get drafted in that first yeah. round that didn't have a first round grade. And, and of course, every GM's just like, oh, well, we had 17 guys on with first round grades and we got one of our guys. Well, of course you did, right? Because right. you're super smart GM. But that, t- that idea of tiers and how many guys sort of fit into this talent pool, it's one of the reasons why I even brought up the idea of trading down. Right. Because of the same point that that you made, Pete, that the difference between a player that you could get at 17 versus the type of player you could get at 25 or 28 or 32, there may not be that big of a difference. There may be, though, a guy who is there at 17 who is in a tier way above 
where you expected him to be. And that's where the entire sort of like algorithm of this starts to like create a different equation for you. Well, that's also why it won't be decided until the 17th pick comes up, right? We could, I'm sure they've had all of these conversations about trading down, hey, you know, what would interest you? But the other team isn't going to be like, we're going to trade up if and only if player X is available on the board when it gets to 17, which they have no way of knowing until the moment. And that's where it goes into the all of the preparation meets that instantaneous decision making that you were talking about, Mike, where it's like, yeah, something happened and you get a call in the moment. And all of a sudden you have three minutes to decide if you want to trade this pick for that pick and that pick. And that's where all of that preparation kind of meets that kind of in the moment, you know, choice that you got to make. Yeah, 100%. And that's also where I think from we're doing this from the Lakers perspective, there's a level of comfort in knowing that they've done that well. Uh, However, you're only as good as your most recent pick, right? So every time you go out there and you make a decision uh, in we will know, I think, in, in an increasingly quick manner because of all the people that we have watching and all of the summer league games that they're playing and the ease with which it, we have to watch them. So they're it's not like the Lakers have just done done everything great and made every single pick correct. But I sleep easier as somebody that's that's who's going to benefit from if this player can play or not, um, knowing that they've they're prepped, like they're ready to make the pick. They know what they're doing and that you can't say that about every team for sure. Yeah, should be fun. Uh, and a lot can happen in the span of what do we got about 36 hours until the draft. So we will be back on Friday to discuss whatever happened. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddie pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.